You'll notice that we've got a, a few new faces here on our worship team. I'm excited. Uh, first of all, for well, he's um, you're an old timer by now, but uh, Danny Kolke is is somewhere in Fargo, North Dakota, right now, driving driving cross country uh, in a U-Haul with all of his daughter's stuff. And um, Arnov, you've you've seen our, our Arnov is is a new drummer, new to us, and we're so excited uh, that he's practicing his talents here. Yeah, whoop whoop. I don't know where he went. And then uh, Matt Randall's back here on, on bass. And give everybody a round of applause. And Melanie, you're just as faithful. And yes, standing ovation for Melanie. But very, very excited. And, and even back in the booth, we got Scott's back with us. Um, we've got uh, Tomas, who's learning how to do the mix. So uh, really excited to see kind of fresh new blood and people stepping up to volunteer. And we still have needs both for musicians and also for tech people, and we can train you. We can't train you on the musician piece. You kind of have to be already able to do that. Um, but the tech piece, that's something that we can teach really anyone. So if you can point a mouse and click a button, uh, we can teach you what to do. So please, uh, if, if we, we still need help, we still need people to step forward and just encourage you to do that. Um, I need to invite all of our kids back to Children's Church for, for this time. And so uh, K through 5, anybody who's here with us and wants to head back with Pastor Angela, uh, you're dismissed right now. Come on down. And for the rest of us, at the close of our service today, we will be celebrating communion. And uh, if you're at home and need to gather your elements, um, please take a second and do so now. Or if you're here in person and you, you need to get one of these little cups, um, Dave, who's waving his hand at the back there, he'll uh, distribute those at our communion time. And so you just look for Dave and say, hey, I need, I need one of those fancy communion cups. And uh, as I was saying all that, I actually didn't get my notes ready, and so I can go now. Uh, today, we are starting a new series, and... Um, it has, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if it's a funny name, but it's a, maybe a unique name. It's called Nailed It. And we're going to explore how you and I are God's greatest creation. And um, it's inspired by a Netflix, a Netflix show. You can watch it. It's called Nailed It by the same name. And it's a bake-off competition. Only this one, it's, it's pretty humorous because, you know, they find people like you and me who aren't professional bakers, and they, they make them recreate. It's a contest, and they're supposed to recreate these pretty complicated cakes and desserts, okay? So you can imagine that they don't really turn out exactly, you know, what they're supposed to look like, but they say nailed it anyway, which is kind of laced with sarcasm. And um, how that ended up as a title for our series is pretty shaky, but, uh, <laughs> see, thank you. These are the things that we discussed during staff meetings. What should we call this? And eventually this came, nailed it. Yeah, that fits. Um, but it has to do with just our individuality and how God has created us unique. And from God's perspective, human beings have always held a special place in his creation near and dear to his heart. And I, I often wonder, you know, if God's reaction when he looks at Adam and Eve is he's just like, nailed it. So happy, so proud. And unfortunately, we kind of undid a lot of God's good work, but that hasn't deterred God in any one uh, facet or another. 
So this series is about our identity and who God's made us to be, our mission and our purpose in this world that God has put before us. And so we'll begin in the beginning with God's creation of human beings. And I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 28. And uh, you may or may not be familiar with the beginning of, of, the, of the Bible, the first uh, book of the Bible, the first couple chapters. Uh, but the first two, and you could probably throw the third one in there as well, are, are what we know as or collectively call the creation accounts. And they're kind of two different perspectives. And I'm going to read from the first one, and it's dripping with layers of theological meaning. This is a really important passage for us as followers of Christ and for, for God's people because it puts uh, into context so much of who we are and our identity in him. And so let me begin in Genesis 1, verse 26. I'll put this on the screen for you. Then God said... Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Amen. So God created a whole bunch of stuff. And whenever we encounter Genesis and these um, you know, original chapters, the origin chapters, it's important to acknowledge that all of us bring a truckload of our own preconceived notions to the reading of these texts. And, you know, we're probably, what, a hundred years or more in, more than a hundred years into this very strained debate between evolution and creation, and it affects how we read these opening chapters, and it doesn't do us any favors. And so when most of us hear this, or when we read Genesis 1 and 2, we bring this how and why mentality to it. We're trying to, like, how did this happen? Or how did this happen? When did this happen? And and so um, that causes us to really miss a lot of what the text has there for us. Because the writer of Genesis, frankly, didn't care about how this happened, the processes that God used, and when it happened. You know, the period of time, uh, whether it was long or short, Now, the writer of Genesis only cares about three things. He cares about who created, what was created, and why. Writer of Genesis, the book of Genesis, God's Word, only cares at this point about who, what, and why. And as much as we want it to say something about when and how, it just doesn't give us much. We want more, right? And so I've read these first two chapters many, 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 many times. There's a lot that captures my attention. And uh, it's important to note that this is poetry. There's a rhythm here. Each and every day ends kind of the same same way. The, The text repeats this rhythmic like, and this was the end of the first day or the second day, or the third day, fourth day, fifth day. And then it says something really important. And God saw that it was good. 
Ever thought about that? That's a pretty significant statement from God. And God saw that this was good. It's like him saying, nailed it. I made some, some dirt and some, we call this water and sky. Nailed it. Creatures in the sea and on the ground, birds in the air. Nailed it. People. Nailed it. And more and more I'm struck by that simple statement because God didn't turn His back on us or His creation when, when we wrecked it. If it hadn't been good in the first place, why would God bother? He would just scratch it out and start over. But God didn't do that. And this is so significant is because we believe in the God of the impossible. He has the power to create and he has the power to redeem all that he's created. The power to create and the power to redeem each and every single one of us, no matter how messed up, train wrecked, whatever we may feel we are, God's attitude, God's view of you is so, so different. And so here at the end of chapter 1, start of chapter 2, we discover how you and I are God's greatest creation. People, human beings on the earth are God's greatest creation. We're very special in his eyes. That's what you can write down. We're special. And uh, probably 10 years ago, I remember watching a PBS special. And I actually looked it up. You can still find it online. It's called, um, it was actually a, a series of it that Alan Alda hosted. And it was called, this particular show was called The Human Spark. The Human Spark. And it was fascinating. They were interviewing um, world-renowned anthropologists, bio, um, uh, evolutionary biologists, uh, very, the people at, at the head of their field at that time. And they were trying to figure out why humans just seem to be different than the rest of nature. Uh, to them, it just didn't add up. There was this extra little something about human beings. Uh, why did we evolve to paint on cave walls? Why did we make music? Why did we develop complex languages? And on and on it went. It had less to do with our intelligence and our cerebral processes and more to do with there's just something extra about human beings. And I smiled because in my mind, this couldn't be more obvious. This couldn't be more obvious because that's how God made us. He made us with a little extra something, a little spark. And you'll notice in the biblical story that human beings aren't created until day six or days out of uh, day six out of seven. And so we're the final, you know, as, as the account of Genesis is making its way, it gets, finally gets to human beings and we're created not as an afterthought, but as the pinnacle, the apex of God's creative activity and power. That means something. It sets us uh, apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. And if you want to say in evolutionary theory that human beings were like the latecomers to this life on earth party, I'm very okay with that. In fact, that fits very neatly into how I understand 
God's creation story. And if leading scientists who wouldn't affirm the role of God whatsoever can agree that there's something inexplicable about human development, I'd just say that's the hand of God. That's the hand of God. It's a mystery. It's inexplicable. It's the hand of God. And we see this right in the creation account of Genesis. When it describes God fashioning a man from the dust and breathing life into him, the the literal translation of that is him fashioning an earthling from the earth. Sounds either like Star Wars or, uh, or Lord of the Rings. You know, earthling from the earth and breathing breath, the breath of life into him. When it says that, that this man became a living being. That's 2 verse 7. And um, this is really, really, really foundational and important. Because animals also have breath in them, you know, like air in their lungs. But what Genesis is pointing out here is something else. People have God's breath inside of them. God's breath. It's God's breath which enables them to be living beings. And the word for that in Hebrew is nephes. That's Hebrew for soul. There's a couple different Hebrew words for soul. This is a really obscure one. Um, It it actually is kind of odd that they would use that in this context, but they do. um, Because nephes also literally means passionate vitality. We have God's passionate vitality vitality inside of us. Sounds like a spark, doesn't it? It does to me. Um, It gets even better. Nephes is a word that's used for breath. The other Hebrew word is ruah. That's much more common, but but breath. And and it's the hot air part of your breath. So like they'll use nephes in Hebrew to talk about uh, the blast from a furnace. You know, like when you open an oven and that like heat wave hits you, that's the idea. So think about, use your imagination, think about this blast of air from God into the earthling that makes us, us. It's our soul that sets us apart from every other living thing. And our soul means that we have a passionate appetite for God. We're not just this collection of, well, I need to eat, I need to sleep, I need to have all these other bodily functions, and that just makes me just like my dog. Well, maybe if you're an evolutionary biologist, but if you're a follower of Christ, when I hear these things said on TV, in my house, or wherever, I I look at my kids, and I look at them right now, and and I'll say, you're not your dog. You have a soul. You have something special put by God inside of you that makes you distinct and uh, cut above and extra and special and all of these things. It's so significant. You are more than just a mammal. We might have a lot in common with them. There are a lot of similarities. That's who we are in the animal kingdom, but God has made you distinct. And Michelangelo, the painter, captures this um, in his image, we'll put this on the screen for you. This is the, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel where God is reaching out to humanity with this like divine spark 
You'll see even the thing behind him is like a brain, you know, reaching out to uh, Adam there. The creation story painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And uh, we have a capacity for deeply meaningful relationships. We have a passionate appetite for God himself and relationship with him. We're special in his eyes. We have the spark and we're created in his image. The second thing to remember walking out of here this morning, we're distinct, we're special, we're created in God's image. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does that mean, the image of God? Well, images are part of our everyday life. We see them on our phone, we see them on TV, you know, social media, we take photos, uh, art, where images are everywhere. And um, you've heard the phrase that we reserve the right to use your image and or likeness. And I've always, I've always wondered what that means. You, know, you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and, and praise God, you didn't get to see me at 6 a.m. this morning, right? Because we're all a little fuzzy. And, uh, but, but we have this, this reflection that we look like or that we look at. And people are the image deo, the image of God himself. And this is critical to understand. It tells us who we are. It defines our relationship with God. And no one can exactly tell us what it means. It's kind of a mystery. Does it mean that we look like God physically? No. Does it mean that we look like God or act like God emotionally? No. Does it mean that we are intellectually just like God? Definitely not. So people write books about describing what is being made in the image of God. It's so significant. Um, and I don't have a book length amount of time. to. I have like two minutes to tell you what this. So we're going to distill this down into a few categories um, that you're going to love. Because being created in God's image, first of all, has to do with our perspective. And this is where the whole photography idea comes into play. Many of you are familiar with Marvel and this cinematic universe, the multiverse of Marvel. And within that, you've got figures like Loki and Thor and Odin. They're also Norse gods. And they are very much like human beings and their emotions and their desires and their, the way that they behave. But they're also something just a little extra, are they not? They don't grow old. They're super strong. Unfortunately, that's not like us. Well, in be, being created in God's image, um, you know, the Romans, the Greeks, the, the Scandinavians, they all had gods who were just like people. In Christian thought, it's the other way around. We're like God. Instead of God being like us, we're like God. And when it says likeness, it's underlying the fact that we are not gods. We may be like him, just like my photograph may be like me, but it's not me. That's a humbling thing to admit. We are like God, we are not gods. Uh, one way in which we are like God is that we are persons. And scholar Bruce Waltke says, we are both creatures dependent on God and persons with volition free to make decisions. I know you guys use volition in everyday language all the time, right? 
we're dependent on God, but we also have the freedom of choice. This is what being like God is like. Another scholar, Anthony Hokema, says, to be creatures means that God is the potter, that we're the clay. To be persons means that we're the ones who fashion our lives by our own decisions. So what they're saying is that we're dependent on God, but at the same time, we're not robots. God gives us the power to choose. And it's a a pretty significant power. Being distinct persons is a way in which we're similar to the triune nature of God. Second way to category to kind of think about this. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, it has to do with being God's representative. We're God's representative here in his created world. It means that we possess the life of the one we represent, but when we're present, he's somehow present too. Um, Being God's representative isn't the same as we would understand, you know, we're not like an elected official. I was reading uh, through this, and one scholar kind of spelled this out clearly for me. Back in the day when Genesis was written, um, you know, if this was in fact written by Moses, he was raised in Egypt, and all of you, you know, scholars here this morning know that Egypt's pharaohs thought or said that they were the image of God. King Tut, his name, Tutankhamun, means Image of the God, amen. So by writing this, it's pretty profound. Um, Ancient kings, you know, they were the image of God. It gave them power to rule. But you and I are different. The Bible's saying you and I are the living image of Yahweh that carries unique privileges and responsibilities. Um, No matter where we go, It's not just the king who's representing God. It's us. We represent King Jesus. We represent Yahweh. Being made in his image, made in his likeness, likeness gives us this incredible privilege and responsibility that also has to do with ruling or exercising our dominion. When God tells, you know, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the earth, This is a tremendous privilege. God's placing us in governance over the earth to increase in number, to subdue it. And what the Bible means by this isn't that we have this harsh, heavy-handed, or exploitive role on earth. You know, ruling and subduing the earth doesn't mean that we get to cut down all the trees or gasoline in all the rivers and drive cars with whale skin hubcaps. Okay? That's not the idea. Oh, you can do whatever you want to on my earth. No, it has to do with this sense of stewardship, of compassion, of benevolence, where God's representative here on earth means that we can enjoy and responsibly use all of his creation, but not just abuse it. And finally, being made in God's image has to do with relationship. God intended for there to be a direct relationship between his image bearers and himself. We're special in his eyes. We have this special capacity to live in communion with him. And so, right here from the start, 
Genesis wants you to know about the God of the Bible, about who you are, that you are, in fact, very special in his eyes, that you are made with a purpose, made distinct. You're not just like every other animal on earth. And you're created in his image, meaning that you can communicate with God and also with others um, just by showing up. You're uniquely made, you're equipped, you're empowered to display the identity of your creator. And and a practical way to apply or to think about that this week is that when you're standing in line at the grocery store or when you meet other students at school or other teachers or parents, wherever you may be, these are all people made in his image. These are all people loved and created by him. And many people in our world don't know God. So by your very presence and connection to him, you stand to make an unbelievable impression upon them for for God's sake in Jesus' name. What a privilege this is. And deep down, God wants to bless you and me. He's given us the earth and Uh, to enjoy and care for and remind us of his creative power. But most of all, God wants to be known by you. You were created with a a capacity to live in concert, live in connection, to live in communion with him. Stand up and take that gift that's being offered to you. That's what the story of the Bible is all about, of how God wants to dwell with us, eventually how Christ comes to die for us, and that the Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us. This is what God wants to do for you and me. It's a tremendous gift. And so as I close in prayer, uh, and we move towards communion, this meal that we, we get to celebrate, the Thanksgiving, the Eucharist, of God's presence in our life. Let's take just a moment and be present with our Creator.